So this morning, I'll be preaching on the Passover. Since this our Lord's Supper Sunday, it's uh, very appropriate to talk about the Passover because we know that the Passover in Exodus is the basis for celebrating the Lord's Supper. Although it was commanded by our Lord Jesus Christ back in the Gospels, we know that it dates back to the book of Exodus. It's very helpful for us to look back at these two chapters in Exodus, chapters 12 and 13, and see how it came about and what was the real reason why the Lord passed over the houses of the Israelites because of the blood of the sacrificial lamb on their uh, doors and houses. So let's open first in prayer and let's commit this time to our Lord God. Father in heaven, we thank you that we are here today to celebrate, to commemorate the Lord's Supper, Lord, until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back for each one of us. I pray, O Lord, that you will speak to us through your word and that this story about the Passover of the Israelites, Lord, will appropriately convict our hearts of any sinfulness as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. And also, Help us, Lord, to, to be challenged, to always remember what Jesus Christ had done on the cross, even though sometimes it becomes so familiar to us that it seems to be a light thing for us Christians. But we know, Lord, that the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, his death on the cross was very costly, especially towards the Father and towards our Lord. So I pray, Lord, that you will help us, Lord, to always remember, to celebrate the goodness of the Lord God by sending His only begotten Son to this world to die on the cross for our sins and that He resurrected on the third day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Perhaps all throughout your life you have experienced so many uh, situations and you have shared many stories and those stories and experiences actually shape your life. You are not here today, perhaps if no one has shared the good news to you sometime in the past, perhaps 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, or probably yesterday, those people who have shared the good news to you have also told you that the death of the Lord Jesus Christ is based on the fact that the Lord God himself has chosen his people Israel to be delivered from Egypt thousands and thousands of years ago. So when we have those stories and experiences in, in our life, they shape our present life. And some of those experiences are things that sometimes we will never forget. I cannot even forget the time that I got saved uh, around 1997. That's about 26, almost 26 years ago. And I always remember that because it was Christmas time. So it's easy to remember. And sometimes when, when pastors ask you about your salvation before you are entered into the membership of the church, he will ask you, when did you get saved? Sometimes you don't remember, but there are situations that will help us remember those periods wherein we trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And especially as we celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning, it's very important for us to remember. Because remember, because we are all forgetful people, right? Even at my age, I start to forget some things. 
And you know that if you get into this age, even young people sometimes, they forget things. Because all of us are forgetful people, especially when it all is about our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we can see here in the scriptures, for example, in Nehemiah chapter 4, 14, you don't need to uh, just list down these passages. The Bible tells us to remember the great and terrible Lord. That's in Nehemiah, when he was building the walls of Jerusalem with his people. He said, remember the great and terrible and awesome Lord. Because they were experiencing some challenges. So God sometimes would want us to remember always his promises, and especially his character when, it's, when we experience challenges in our life. And to the young people, this is what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12.1, remember thy creator in the days of thy youth. While you are still young, young people, start recalling what God has been doing in your life. Don't wait until you're in the 60s or 70s or 80s before you remember what God has done for you. Start thanking the Lord right now. Start praising Him. Because if you start right now, you know that all throughout your lifetime, you will be filled with praises and thanksgiving toward the Lord. And that will be your prominent attitude towards other people. In Psalm 105, verse 5, the Bible says, Remember the wonderful works that God has done. What was the latest wonderful work that God has done in your life? For me, perhaps yesterday, when I met the pastor, who has the same heart about missions, about discipleship. Always remember the latest wonderful work of God in your life. That's why sometimes at the end of our services or at the end of our prayer meeting on Wednesday nights, I always ask you, do you want to share any testimony, any experiences wherein God has shown His wonderful work in your life? In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, Remember Jesus Christ who was risen from the dead. If you forget everything else in the world, don't forget this very important truth, that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Because sometimes, when we talk about the gospel, we stop at the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we forget that after his death, there was the empty tomb, because he was resurrected. And one thing, we were singing, uh, Brother Ryback and Christine were singing the song Resurrecting, I was my eyes were, was caught, were caught by that uh, phrase or statement. It says that this tomb was borrowed for three days. Why do you think the tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ was borrowed? Because he knew and his people knew that he will be resurrected. God has planned already. Because during that time, if you want to have a tomb for yourself of your family member, you need to buy it, purchase it, just like right now, right? But in the time the Lord Jesus Christ did, they did not want to buy that. Because they knew that that will be not useful anymore after three days. Because he is going to resurrect from the dead. So that's our hope. Jesus Christ has been risen from the dead. If you are experiencing so much problems right now in your life, so many things that lingering in your mind because of your situation, Always think about this. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And that should be your hope. That should be your hope. That should be the hope of every living Christian. And lastly, in Luke chapter 22, verse 19, when Jesus instituted 
the Lord's Supper, he told his disciples, do this in remembrance of me. That's why when we were still in the old faith, the priest would always say that. When, when he would always raise the, the host, they call it the host or the bread, and they would say, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in memory of me. So when we celebrate the Lord's Supper every first Sunday of the month, what are we commemorating? We are commemorating the Lord Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. We are commemorating his death and the blood that he shed on the cross for each one of us. That's why we always sing about blood. People don't like blood, especially when singing. It's an eerie feeling for them. But we talk about blood because it's about the blood of Jesus Christ. Without his blood, we can never be saved. By his blood, we are saved, we are redeemed, we are forgiven of all our sins. That's why we need to keep on remembering and not forget what Jesus Christ has done for us. So in our passage here in these two chapters, don't worry, I'm not going to, we're not going to look at every verse of these two chapters because that will take us probably two hours here this morning, but we'll look at some important statements that really apply to us as Christians. So our main point here this morning is that in the story of the Passover, we remember the saving power of God and His grace from generation to generation to generation. That's very important because we don't keep the power of God's salvation and His grace to ourselves. We don't limit it to this congregation. That's why we go out there into the world and share the power of salvation and the grace to other people, especially to the young people in our midst. So let's go now to Exodus chapter 12. We'll look at verses 1 to 28 here. The first thing that we need to remember as we remember the Passover is to remember the substitute. Remember the substitute. Remember the death of the Lord Jesus Christ is called the substitutionary atonement. His death is a substitutionary atonement for our sins. Instead of us dying on the cross or being penalized for our sins, Jesus Christ did that on the cross for all of us more than 2,000 years ago. So Exodus chapter 12, verse 1 says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. You know, the calendar of the Jewish people is different from ours. I don't know. I think they start from about springtime, their first month. We start with January, which is actually winter time. But for them, it starts a bit later in the year. And the Lord God says, I'm going to give you a new calendar. You're not going to follow the world's calendar, but you're going to follow my own calendar. And the first day of your calendar starts with your salvation. That's why when you celebrate your birthdays, you have two actually actual birthdays. Your physical birthday, which is the day that you were born, and the second birthday is the day of your salvation. And you know what? The day of your salvation is more important because that's the time that God recreated you. The first birthday is your creation. The second birthday is your recreation because you have been given a new life. You were born again as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the Lord God says, I'm going to give you a new calendar, different from the world's calendar. 
That's why we, as not only as a denomination in the Baptist Church, but all true Christian churches, we do not celebrate what they call the Lenten season. You know, the first day of Lent, most religious people will put ashes, okay, ashes on their forehead. Right? Remember that when I was young, I, I always head to the church on those on that so-called Ash Wednesday and have the priest put the ashes on my forehead and so on. Okay? And then every Friday, since then until Easter Sunday, you are not allowed to eat meat, only fish and veggies. But we as Christians are not given that kind of regulation. We don't celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ only during this so-called Lenten season, but we celebrate it every day of our life. We remember it. We commemorate it, especially in our church every first Sunday of the month. So that's what God said. This will be the beginning of your calendar. And then verse 3 said, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every month a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. So that lamb will be the sacrifice and will be the substitute for all the people in Israel. Okay? What would be the characteristics of the lamb? Verse 5 says, Your lamb shall be without blemish and should be a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. So those are strict rules. The lamb should be without blemish or without spot and should be a male of the first year. Okay? So those are very important regulations to be the substitute for the people of Israel. Okay? And we will find out later why do they need a substitute. Because at this point in time, we see that the Lord God is going to kill all the firstborn sons of the people in Egypt. This will be the tenth plague. Remember, for the past nine plagues, the Lord God was inflicting all kinds of diseases and pestilence and turning the Nile River into, into blood and so on and so forth. But now this will be the worst kind of plague because after the nine plagues, the, the Pharaoh said, I will still not let your people go. So God said, my, you have been taste testing my patience, my long suffering. Now I need to display to you the full expression of my wrath. So you see, God is not just a loving God. We always tell people, God loves you, God loves you, and that's true. But we need to tell them also the opposite, the other attribute of God, that God is a just God, that God is a God filled with wrath, wrath against sin. And that's what we need to communicate to people as we share the good news. So the lamb shall be without blemish, male the first year. And then verse 6, they will keep it until the 14th day of the same month. So the celebration of the Passover starts on the first day until the 14th day. So two weeks. They celebrate this sacrificial lamb, the substitute for their lives for about 14 days or two weeks. And the whole assembly of the congregation shall kill it in the evening. Then verse 7, what will they do? They will take the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the house. Okay? So they will sprinkle it, their door posts of the house. What's the reason? So that when the angel of death passes by those houses and he, he sees the blood from that sacrificial lamb, he knows that he's not going to kill the firstborn sons in those houses. 
That's the sign. We will see later on that God says that will be a token, a sign that you are redeemed, that you are delivered from the angel of death. And then in verse 8, they shall eat the flesh in the night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. They eat this with unleavened bread because remember, um, yeast or leaven is a picture of sin. It's an illustration of sin in the Bible. And that's why God says, when you bake your, your bread or whatever you bake, don't use yeast because it causes to, the bread to rise up. And the rising, up, the rising up of the bread is a picture of sin in our life. So God doesn't want that to happen in his people. And also, the bitter herbs, the bitterness of these herbs reflect the bitterness of sin. Sin is not good. You know, when you eat something bitter, you don't like it, right? You don't like it. You sometimes vomit it out. The same with sin. We should vomit out sin in our life. We should not allow it to take a hold of our spiritual life. And then in verse 11, drop down to verse 11, And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. God says you need to do it with, with everything ready in your, in your life. Your robes tucked in, you have your shoes, and you're ready to go. All your luggages, all your clothes are packed already. Why? Because the moment that the angel of death passes by, and then you are delivered, I will let you go. And the Pharaoh will also let you go. We'll see that later on. And in verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and it will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Do you know why the Lord God show, uh, um, shows his power against those nine plagues and right now the tenth plague? Because he was also judging the gods of Egypt. He was telling the Egyptians, you know what? You are worshiping these so-called gods of yours for this past nine and then the tenth plague? They are nothing before me because I am the God of all gods. I am the supreme authority in this universe. So now I'm going to execute judgment on all your gods and you will see that you are worshiping useless, empty, worthless idols. You should have worshiped me instead. That's what God is telling them. And verse 13, and the blood shall be to you for a token, a sign upon the houses where you are. When I see the blood, they take note. I think there's a hymn like that. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's where we get the word Passover. The angel of death sees the blood on the doorpost of the Israelites, and God says, I will pass over you. You will not experience my judgment because that sacrificial lamb has been your substitute for the judgment, for my judgment. The same with Jesus Christ. He is the sacrificial lamb who takes away the sin of the world. That's why you and I do not need to die anymore for our sins. Otherwise, if we need to die for our sins, still that will not be enough. Because the Bible says, if you die for your own sins, you need to be perfect because that's the standard of God. Only Jesus Christ did that and no one else can do that. I remember um, 
I think um, this past week, have you heard last Monday, there's this Nashville uh, Christian school uh, shooting in Tennessee. And three young kids, nine years, nine years old, all of them died. And three, one headmaster, one teacher assistant, uh, two teacher assistants died also uh, when they were killed by this transgender uh, woman who was actually a former student of that Christian school. And there were there was this news that this um, headmaster, his name, her name was Catherine, I believe, Catherine something. And what she did was that when she was uh, on a Zoom conferencing, she heard the the, the shooting. She head out of his her of her room and then protected all the kids. So essentially, what did she do? She sacrificed her life for the kids. You know, when I heard that news. That reminded me of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me. He sacrificed his life. I should have been on that cross to die for my own sins. But he said, I'm going to do that for you, Alan. Because I love you so much, I can do that for you. You don't need to do anything but to just depend and rest your faith in me and what I did on the cross. For some people, that headmaster who sacrificed his life may not be impressed. That may be something that will take them, that they will take lightly, not seriously, especially because that school was a Christian school and especially most of the people right now are not Christians. And actually, if you hear the news, they were actually defending more the transgender killer rather than the Christian school. That's how wicked this, this, this world that we live in right now. But we understand because they are from Satan's kingdom. But we are in God's kingdom. We ought to sacrifice even our life if we need to do so for the sake of other people. Because Jesus Christ did so much for all of us. He was a substitute for each one of us. And he does not deserve that, our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he was sinless. He was perfect. He did not commit any sin. But he chose. He voluntarily laid down his life for all of us. Now in verse 14, This day shall be unto you for a memorial, and you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. So this is where we get the commandment from the Lord. Remember, remember what the sacrificial lamb did for the Israelites. Remember what your Lord and Savior did for you. Remember that every day of your life, when you feel stressed, rather than thinking about the reasons for your stress, think about what Jesus Christ experienced on that cross. If you look at the Lord Jesus Christ, imagine him on the cross right now. Both his hands are plastered on the cross with nails and both his, both of his feet are on the cross also with nails. And if, just imagine yourself like that, hanging on that cross. How can you breathe properly? You will need to gasp for air like that. But later on, for example, for three hours he was there on the cross, you will get tired. You will get tired doing that. Your muscles will no longer contract in order to inhale air 
you will, instead you will have more carbon dioxide. If you have more carbon dioxide, then you will die soon. That's what Jesus Christ endured for each one of us. And I don't think any one of us, even if we suffer all kinds of tragedy in life, can match or can be compared to what Jesus Christ experienced on the cross. So don't ever complain. I should never complain also. This morning, it was, there was a bit of hailstones. And sometimes we, oh, it's springtime already. Why, why, why is it raining still? It's summer already. Why is it still so cloudy? And it's still raining. But rather than doing that, why don't we remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us? And then we can start praising him. We can start giving thanks to him for what he has done on the cross for us. Verse 17, you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread for in this self same day, self same day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall you observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. So we remember not only his death on the cross, but the delivery, the deliverance from our sins, the deliverance from slavery that sin has given unto us because we are all sinners. So in verses 21 to 28, we see that Moses and Aaron just replayed or repeated the commands of the Lord towards the Israelites. But let's go down to verse 25, uh, Exodus 12. It shall come to pass when ye be come to the land which the Lord will give you according to as he had promised that you shall keep the service. Okay? So the Lord God is saying, when you come to the promised land and then when your children shall say unto you, why are you doing this kind of service? Why are you commemorating the Passover and celebrating the Feast of the Unleavened Bread? What shall we say? Verse 27. It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when he smote the Egyptians and delivered their houses, and the people bowed the head and worshipped. Remember that time when you were redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. You were redeemed from a life of sin, and now you are translated into the kingdom of light. That's a great contrast there. Before you were in the kingdom of darkness, now in, your, in the kingdom of light. So why are we sometimes wanting to go back into the kingdom of darkness and enjoy the pleasures of the world? Just like the Israelites when they were in the wilderness. They want to go back to Egypt. They're not even thankful that God has saved them from slavery. And how many years have they been in Egypt for slavery? 430 years. Can you imagine that? And they're still complaining in the wilderness because we don't have water, we don't have food. Rather than thanking God, that God thank you that you have delivered us from slavery. They want to become slaves of the world rather than slaves of the Lord God himself. What is much better? Of course, to be slave of the Lord God. Because if you are the slave of, of the Lord God, you will inherit so many blessings. But if you are the slaves of the world, you may feel prosperous, you may feel successful in the eyes of the world, but you are not really fulfilled. You can never be satisfied. But you can be satisfied if you are slave of the Lord God himself. So now secondly, we don't only remember the substitute, 
but we also remember the severity, that means the justice, and also the mercy of God. So verse 29, And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne, unto the firstborn of the captive that was in dan the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. So not only the children, but all the animals of Egypt, the firstborn animals, were also killed. What does that tell us about God? That God is so violent, that God is so cruel, as so many people would tell us. They will tell us, you know, your God is not a kind God. He's not loving. Because they said, he killed a lot of people. And he told these people to kill a group of people. It's, it's like genocide, just like the Jewish people back in the World War, being killed by Hitler and his army. That's why they brand the Lord God. But because they don't understand the attribute of God, that God is not only merciful, but he is also a just God. He is a severe God. He hates sin. He hates pride. He hates wickedness and all those things that belong to Satan's realm. But he loves righteousness. He loves mercy. So in this case, we see the justice of God, that he is filled with wrath towards sin. And then in verse 30, Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt. That's what we expect, of course. Imagine your heir to the throne is dead. Who's going to be the next king in Egypt? His heir is dead. So was, there was a great cry. For there was not a house where there was not one dead. Every house has their firstborn son killed by the angel of death. That's how severe our God is. And that applies to each one of us also. Because sometimes we as Christians would always presume that because we are already saved, then we have the license to sin. We have the license to just do whatever pieces our hearts. Whatever we desire, we can do because I'm going to heaven. I have a ticket to heaven already, so whatever I do right now, I'll still be in heaven. But sometimes we forget that there are consequences to our sins, especially as Christians. Not that we are being punished when we sin, but that we are going to be disciplined by our loving God. And sometimes those disciplines may seem like a punishment because they are painful. They are painful. They might cause us to suffer so much. But remember, as Christians, we are disciplined by God because He loves us so much. He doesn't punish us because punishment is all about wrath. It's all about anger. But discipline is all about the opposite of anger and wrath. It's about love. He wants to correct us, and that's the right term. He corrects us when he disciplines. Because he wants us to go into the right direction that he wants us to take. Sadly, Pharaoh and his people did not want to obey God. Because they thought that God was just faking them. That God was not serious 
Remember, God is serious, especially when dealing with our sins. That's why before we come to the Lord's Supper, even right now, if you have an opportunity, pray silently to the Lord. If you have any sin that you have committed these past days or even this morning, commit them all to the Lord and then ask for forgiveness. Now in verse 31, Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get you forth from among thy people, both ye and the children of people, and go serve the Lord as ye have said. Also take your flocks and your herds, as ye have said and begun, and bless me also. And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, We be all dead men. They're so scared. So the Egyptians said, okay, Go, go right away. Right this minute. Don't wait any longer. Because otherwise, if you stay here, all of us per perhaps will die because of what they did to the Lord and his people. So aside from the severity, the justice of God, we see here also the mercy of God. The mercy is towards his people. And we see here in, a, in verse 35, the people of Israel borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver, jewels of gold, and raiment. And the Lord God gave the people favor. That's the mercy of God. So, God shows his justice to wicked people by punishing them, but he shows his mercy to us, his people. He gives us his favor. And that's why when the people of Israel went to the land of promise, the land of Canaan, they have lots of jewelries and properties and animals. Why? Because they all got them from the Egyptians. The Egyptians willingly gave them all these things. Because, you know, the Egyptians thought that if they offer all these things that they have, perhaps they will appease and satisfy the wrath of the God of Israel. So God used the wicked people's possessions and properties in order to bless his people. So God can do that. And that is an expression of his mercy. Okay? So now let's go to the last one, uh, the third one, third, second to the last one. Remember also God's deliverance. In verse 37, the children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth. Then verse 38, a mixed multitude went up also with them and flocks and herds even very much cattle. Verse 40, now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. So this is where we get it. How long they were in Egypt in their slavery. 41, it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the selfsame day it came to pass, that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night to be much observed unto the Lord for bringing them out. Okay, that's the deliverance part. The Lord brought them out from the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord to be observed all the children of Israel in their generations. So we ought to remember also how God brought us out of Egypt, a picture again of sin and slavery, to the land of Canaan, the promise of heaven, the promise of eternal life. We are no longer in Egypt, and we should not desire to go back to Egypt. But instead, we want to stay in the promised land. We want to stay in the kingdom of the Lord God himself. And 
The best way to do that is to remember always that God has delivered us from our sin. And then lastly, in chapter 13, we ought to remember also the strong hand of the Lord. Uh, chapter 13, starting in verse 3, Moses said unto the Lord, Remember this day. So, so you see, remember in which you came from out of from Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For by the strength of the Lord, strength of hand of the Lord brought you out from this place. There shall no leavened bread be eaten. So how were they brought out of Egypt? By the strong hand of the Lord. It's not by their own strong hand. They were not powerful. Actually, the Bible says in Deuteronomy, the people of Israel were the least in number during that time. They were not powerful. We as Christians are not powerful by ourselves. Our power lies on the Lord Jesus Christ. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. He who strengthened each one of us. It's only by the strength of the hand of the Lord that we are brought out of a life of sin. And now in verse 8, they were supposed to show this to the next generation also. Verse 8, Thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. Take note, what the Lord did unto me. Always tell, especially your younger children or younger grandchildren, what the Lord Jesus Christ did for you in the past. How the Lord saved you. And then verse 9, It shall be for a sign unto thee upon thine hand, for a memorial between thine eyes, that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth. And again, for with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. The strong hand of the Lord brings us out of our Egypt. And then in verse 14 again, It shall be when thy son asketh thee, What is this that thou shalt say unto him, by strength of hand, the Lord brought us out from Egypt, from the house of bondage. And then verse 16, It shall be for a token upon thine hand, for frontlets between thine eyes. For by strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. So again, the strong hand of the Lord. We can never underestimate the powerful hand of the Lord. He is the Almighty God. That's why He's called Almighty. He's the only one that we can call as Almighty, even though the people in the world right now call their own currency, the dollar bill, as the Almighty dollar. But I, tell, I don't think the, the dollar will be Almighty in the, in the very near future because right now the dollar is getting shrunk into nothing almost right now. And they will find out that it's only God who is considered Almighty. So if you are wondering, how can a sinner come into the presence of a holy God? The Bible says, look to the Lamb of God, because He's the one who takes away the sin of the world. And then we ought to praise God, because we already have a substitute. We have Christ Jesus, our Passover Lamb. Let us all stand up, please. I would like us to read all together the verses in Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. Let's sing this. Uh, let's read this together. Revelation 5, 11 to 14. As a way of remembering and telling our Lord Jesus Christ that you are worthy to be praised by your people. 
Revelation chapter 5, starting verse 11. Ready, go. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I say, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much, Lord, for how you have delivered us from a life of sin and now to a life of righteousness because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us always, Lord, to remember that our substitute is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to always remember the severity and the mercy of God, to remember this strong hand and his deliverance toward each one of us. Help us, Lord, not to complain, but instead to praise you, to always say, Lord, you are worthy of all people because you are our Lord and Savior and you deserve all our praises and our thanksgiving. And Lord, we pre may you prepare our hearts as we take of these elements, Lord, as we commemorate the Lord's Supper, O Lord, and, I, and we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes back. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may take your seats. 